The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Number five is alive! And tonight, we're going to be talking about AI in popular culture. Artificial intelligence has been a bit of a thing recently in <laughs> um, popular culture and in real life, in science and technology. And we thought we'd sit down and talk a little bit about how AI has been portrayed in popular culture and how it's affecting real culture. You know, what's going on with it, what's happening, and AI in general. And if we're lucky, we'll even get to the end of this podcast without being replaced by machines. <laughs> All right, Don. So before we start, what exactly is AI? Now, see, this is, I think, one of the first big issues we have. Uh, because the idea is... AI is what you get when you have a, a sentient, uh, self-aware like machine, be it a robot or a computer. And I think the big problem we have with that issue is we don't actually know what consciousness and sentience and self-awareness is. Mm -hmm. uh, we we, we kind of suss it out because we consider ourselves as sentient beings. But what that means in like an objective, demonstrable sense we've never quite come up with a definition for. Right. So how can we come up with a definition for a non-human sentient creature, especially, or machine, if we don't know why we're sentient? See, now that's one of the, one of the issues we have with AI, because what some people think is going to happen is when we do have a machine that really can't be disproven to be self-aware, it's going to teach us kind of like in in the the modeling take it apart put it back together sense what consciousness actually is right and that could have all sorts of fun consequences and such um mm -hmm. and and keep in mind there was a google engineer who just last year was fired because he claimed that their ai was actually sentient um mm -hmm. and, and got in a huge amount of trouble for that based on what i have discovered a little bit recently about the Google AI system, he might not entirely have been wrong, but that's, that's, right. a, that's a story we can talk about later. Um, so, okay, so that is a bit, going back to the point, that is a bit of a problem, isn't it? Um, and, well, two problems, really, as you said. We don't know what the model of consciousness is, and, even if, and when we do discover it, what will that tell us about us and the world and everything else? Mm -hmm. Because once we can model consciousness correctly, what if we discover that some of those rules don't apply to people or some people anyway, or, 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 <laughs> or maybe we're going to discover that dogs are actually the, the most conscious and smartest species on the planet. It, it can, and it can go the other way. Speaking of dogs, <laughs> speaking of dogs, yes, it could also go the other way that we discover that, that the, this idea of, of sentience and self-awareness is actually just an illusion. 
Yes, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah. It, it may turn out to be an illusion that uh, maybe we really are all NPC video game characters. Well, yeah, it, it, it goes back to the idea that um, every psychology class I ever took at the U, mm -hmm. you, you almost always start with BF Skinner and behaviorism. Absolutely. Good reason. Yeah, and because Skinner was the guy, for anybody who doesn't know, it, he, he referred to the, the mind as a black box. And he mm -hmm. said, we don't have to know how it works. We just know if we put A in, we get B out. That's all that's important. How we get there, it, it doesn't matter. Right. And he's kind of decre decried uh, by the <clears throat> psychology community because the implication is that we're basically, <clears throat> yeah, we're just meat bots that intellectually we're we're more instinct than we want to admit mm -hmm. that we simply are just reacting to things and that we can be programmed we can be our personalities can be formed in in ways desirable to an external force that it's not something we're creating inside of us inside of uh our our intangible mind right and it scares the hell out of people and that's why like there's a but he's been disproven even though a lot of his theories end up forming the basis of other bits of psychology because they work because they work <laughs> exactly yeah he's totally been disproven except not okay good good mm. that's that's wonderful um <laughs> but i know i agree with you 100 percent that when it comes to a lot of this stuff this really is people just saying nope nope that's totally wrong because if it was right that would mean that you know i'm not as free thinking and don't have the same level of free will i think i do and i don't want to accept that and so, yeah, that's that's a bit of an issue. And I think that leads to an interesting question then. So why are people so, um, not just fascinated, but some people are even like really looking forward to AI. I mean, if, if it's going to be so disruptive when it becomes part of our system, why do people look so forward to it? Why are people so fascinated by it? Yeah, there's weirdos in every group. <laughs> I don't think that the <laughs> like couple million people a minute logging onto Chatbot GPT three point five or whatever it is right now to play with it are you know weirdos. I think a lot of them are just totally fascinated by the darn thing. Yeah, because it's it's another one of those things. Uh, getting to the pop culture angle. We've been sold different ideas of what it will mean when we have sentient machines. Hmm. And it, it, it seems to tie in with, um, with kind of the general public perception of machines and computers. Because if you go back to, say, the 1950s, mm -hmm. uh, computers were assumed they were going to be like our, our big digital buddies. Basically, yeah. And if, if you follow any of like old like 50s, early 60s sci-fi... The computers were sentient. They could they could come up with with their their own courses of action. Mm -hmm. And if something went wrong, it was because we gave it bad data, or we um, we misinterpreted what it was saying, kind of thing. Yeah, usually that's how it was back in those days. Um, we 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 made some mistake because it's just a cold, as they they constantly refer to it, cold calculated logic. It's a machine of cold yeah. calculated logic. And therefore, it's only as smart or is only as good as the data we put into it. And that's how they constantly refer to it back in 50s sci-fi if you read, you know, those novels or stories. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And and that was the idea when Asimov did, like, the iRobot stories. Mm -hmm. 
the basic premise was that they were actually an analysis of human beings because it was it, I forget the character's name, like the Robo Shrink. I don't remember. Sorry. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Asimov fan. Yeah, me it was neither. A long time since. But it was a lot. The the stories were basically robots would do something weird, and this expert would come in and she'd analyze them, basically as a robot psychologist, and you would find out something about the people that programmed it because it was the flaws in their thinking that gave these programs to the robots that made them act weird because robots couldn't act weird or hostile on their own. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. That they, So they were all reflections of their programmers, which yeah, I think is still true today, actually. I, I technically think that's true, That to, so far anyway, at least until we come up with an AI that actually is sentient or can make its own decisions based on those elements we are looking at reflections of the programmers, or at least we're looking at reflections of the data that's put into it, I think would probably be the better term. Because, of course, in the 50s sci-fi, they didn't have the concept of the internet, so they didn't realize that we would be able to send our little robot buddy out there to scrape pretty much all human knowledge <laughs> off the internet, good and bad, and then it would come up with this bizarre hodgepodge um, awareness of what humanity is. <laughs> It is, and I think you've hit upon um, the idea that I would say is indicative of knowing that you have a truly artificially intelligent device. Mm -hmm. Which is? Because every, oh, it's, it's everybody refers to the idea that AI will be able to do this. And I think it's what, it's what it doesn't do that will be important. Yes. That... You can, we have programs now that you can tell it, um, write a song in the style of, of Bob Dylan talking about, you know, Tim Horton's donuts and the computer will do it. Mm -hmm. It's when you get a machine that's supposed to do that and it not only doesn't write the song, it then goes to law school to become a lawyer. That's how you know you've got something AI. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. That it's, it can, it can go beyond its, its programming. Mm -hmm. To, to, for lack of a better word, make decisions that have little to do with what we told it to do and what we designed it to do. That it's moved beyond that on its own. Right, yeah. As, well, as we said, it's making decisions on its own. It's doing things on its own with, as you said, without us telling it to, in its own self-interest. Well, if it's a, got a self-interest, that means to some degree it's self-aware. And yeah. it therefore... That's a bit of a that's a bit of an issue. Um, if it decides if it decides my best interest is to kill all humans, well, then we have a problem on our hands, don't we? <laughs> yeah. If <laughs> yeah, it's starting to look like more like when, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, again, that's one of those. Okay, and again, that's a trope we can talk about as well. Might as well talk about this now. Um, mm. There technically is no reason why the AIs would actually you know, try to kill all humans. Like there, there, right. there's no real. We don't know what they would do. They may decide to get rid of us. They may decide to just ignore us. They may decide to enslave us. That's there. Are, there are many bad outcomes. That's true. But at the same time, maybe they'll decide. Well, humans are kind of like children. I need to shepherd them along, and it yeah. will start working in what it considers what it considers our best interests. Now, yeah, what those best interests are may not be our best, from our point of view, the best interest, but still. Yeah, because you're, what you're bumping into there is when you get into the 60s and the 70s, mm. 
when you look at AI, a lot of the stories are, are what you're getting at, that the uh, when the machine develops sentience, it attacks humans either because it's afraid of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, 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 what was it? The warning that uh, Queensryche did. The album was basically about that. Or the idea that the machines are programmed th- that to take care of us, mm-hmm. but that changes somehow because I can think of um, uh, a big example that would be the, the comic Grey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where the giant supercomputer was built to run society and after analyzing human behavior, it decided that we wanted to wipe ourselves out and built a society engineered so we could wipe ourselves out. Right. Yeah. That it was killing us because that's what it thought it thought we really wanted. And it was programmed to, to give us what we wanted. Right. Although I think it's far more likely that an AI system will simply do something like, here's the cure for cancer. And it renders all you humans sterile at the same time. But it's not going to tell us about the sterility part. <laughs> um, that's much, I think, is much <laughs> more likely if it decides to be patient about the whole thing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, that's much more likely because yeah, it'll you know it'll get us used to by giving us lots of wonder drugs, and they'll finally say, "Yep, yeah, here's the cure for cancer. Do this, and it'll be like great." But it produces, but it, but it kind of sterility. Congratulations, um, and just and just wait us out. It has time. It doesn't as long as as long as we're not a direct threat to it, it can just take its time, and that'll be that. Yeah, and and it, and it goes to that idea of of whether or not it would care about us at all which goes back to my point yeah we just don't know we don't know how it's going to perceive us or react or Mm -hmm. react to us so and yeah maybe maybe it won't care about us maybe it will kind of just decide to do its own thing and maybe it will okay fine use a few cycles of data to just you know uh here's a cure for cancer here's some other stuff just to keep those stupid apes happy and then it'll just simply Mm -hmm. go about its day doing whatever it really wants to do yeah or like if you look at say, yeah if you, if you look at the modern world it might not even do that it might just exist in the sub corners of like the 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 world wide web and not care about us at all very true that it wouldn't even register us because we're we're such an alien concept to it right because you've you've hit upon another thing too that you start seeing mm-hmm. um with this idea of the killer ai yes. When you talked about the 50s stuff, that the machine was cold and logical, mm-hmm. that it was that lack of warmth and humanity that would lead it to these extreme decisions. And that actually ties in with kind of the first serious analysis of the potential for artificial intelligence, which was uh, Alan Turing. Right. Yeah. The Turing test. Yeah. Because um, that's the idea for anybody out there who doesn't know. His theory about how you could test if you have an artificial intelligence is if it conversed either, say, through text or voice or however you did it, if it could converse with people and people couldn't guess that they were talking to a machine, mm-hmm. then it was it was artificially intelligent. But the problem is, like, we have dumb machines that can do that and people that probably couldn't pass the test. Really. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a good idea, maybe at the time when Turing came up with it. But again, his concept of computers and what they could do and everything was still very limited. He didn't really know what we'd be capable of pulling off. And so you're right. He, the, Turing, the Turing test 
there are many chatbots that have for years been able to pass it, but that doesn't mean they're actually mm -hmm. sentient or that they're actually self-aware. Most of them you can actually trick at some point if you know if you know what you're doing. There are trick questions mm -hmm. you can ask that will usually reveal that it's a bot, um, or because it'll give you because it is it's. But on a simple conversation, no problem, it can handle that. But if you start getting into some more complex things, it can't handle it, or at least correction, it couldn't handle that. Maybe they can now, and that's that's a whole other issue. Um, but yeah. but yeah, we're working on that. But so. That again goes back to your point of, well, what is it that makes us self-aware and human? As you said, maybe some humans can't pass, couldn't pass as uh, bots online. Or correction, some humans couldn't pass as humans to, uh, to other people. Um, because yeah. they are different in different ways. Maybe not neurotypical, as the uh, case might go. I'm... I, no, I'm... Hmm? I'm just thinking a lot of like people just aren't good at talking. Or well, writing. there's that too. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that too. Um, I, yeah, no, no, that's true. But, and then we, and then add to that people who are autistic, mm -hmm. which is what I was referring to there. Some autistic people would probably in a chat come across like a computer or might not be capable. You know, other people would easily mistake them for a, a bot just because they are mm -hmm. not very good at, depending on the person, um, you know, warmth or they don't have that, those social skills, that social intelligence to make it work. And yeah. so there you go. That's, as you said, so in a way, Turing's test was a nice idea and it was a good starting point, but it's definitely not the end all and be all. No, because it also plays again into the, um, the, the fears of the mm -hmm. day that the 50s, especially 60s and 70s, that idea that the thing when the machines do inevitably revolt that will save humanity is that warmth and that, that, that emotion and humanness. Yes. And that's, that's why like, there's so many like, like science fiction stories from that era where like invariably, uh, you, you, you do something baffling. Yep. Like shoot Scotty with your finger and he dies and the Android freaks out cause it doesn't understand what you're doing or, the 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 old what is this love of which you speak <laughs> and then the machine just explodes yep, and like yep. and it was and it's that idea Turing kind of played into that that idea that we still felt superior to the machine because you know we could love and that's truly what makes you human or or however you want to look at it well that leads to an interesting question could we develop an AI that actually loves I mean because love is mostly about a combination of hormonal and psychological effects, right? Um, at least if right. I want to be cold and logical about it for a moment. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I suppose a machine, uh, this is, I'm almost sounding like I'm talking about commander data. Um, I suppose a machine <laughs> could program itself to actually have, to simulate love, I guess. You could say it could eventually find a way to simulate it, but it would never truly be able to feel it. Well, but again, that then you're hitting upon what we were talking about before the scary. One of the scary things about AI nobody thinks about is what if we do discover that what we call love really is just a biomechanical reaction? Yeah, that's true. That that we dress it up. It's it's I think I mentioned on on, on a, a couple of episodes mm -hmm. The, the theory that I've been kind of farting around with that if you look at, say, uh, emotional evolution, mm -hmm. 
the idea we have cognitive dissonance. We have this like doubt for our own Correct, actions. Yes. What if that's not actually a weird holdover of some other kind of thought process we evolved out of when when we started walking upright? What if that's a feature? What if it's that cognitive dissonance that leads to our other kind of grouping thinkings and that, and that's why we think we're like sentient individuals? Okay, that would be a that would be challenging. <laughs> well, and and then it goes with this idea that okay, we we dress up this biochemical reaction and call it mm-hmm. love, but it's really just like a, a mating impulse, a um, a child rearing impulse, mm-hmm. and like a, a a biological failsafe by essentially doubling up as an organism to as for further protection in times of strife, especially cognizant or mental strife. No, no, and that makes absolute sense. Yeah, no, no, and I would be inclined to be yeah i would be inclined to say that that's probably true it's it's one of those things we don't like to think about and we don't like to uh dwell too much on but i would argue that that's probably somewhat true that we that that love is a functional bit of psychological evolution and uh, i'm sure there's some evolutionary psychologists that would probably be fascinating to talk to about that and that would probably go into great detail about exactly what what role love plays and yeah how it could entirely be um something that our minds are basically forcing upon us so to speak um for mm-hmm. survival purposes cuz i'm of the opinion that most of the behaviors we have were originally designed for survival purposes right that's uh, Scott. Yeah, McLeod. there we go. <laughs> exactly. Understanding comics by Scott McCloud, including <laughs> including art. Art is art is a, is a survival thing. Well, because well, remember that was his thing though. Anything that doesn't directly relate to survival or or like mating right. is art. Because remember his first example of art was the the caveman who sees the cave woman and chases after her, and she runs away, and. She runs past a saber-toothed tiger that sees the caveman, and he runs away. And at the last minute, he ducks. The tiger goes over the the cliff. He watches it fall, and then he goes, and that's the first instance of art, according to Scott McCloud. I've forgotten about that one until now. Yes, yes, you're exactly right. Yeah, yep, yep. (laughs) Because it's it's also that idea, what what you kind of broach Mm -hmm. upon, is if you think about personality as as kind of a cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. effect it could be that what artificial intelligence does when it hits that point where we can call mm-hmm. it sentient is because the human brain is capable of making bajillions of of different like calculations yes. at a time and it could be that again what we call personality and individuality net is just there are so many of these functions mm-hmm. going on and they're so subtle and so spaced out over so many different topics, I, I mm-hmm. guess you'd say, that cognitive dissonance and the personality that arises from it is how our brain catalogs all of those decisions. That it, it, it me, is just all of those trillions of switches that the regulatory function of my brain groups into an, mm-hmm. an entity, me, as a way of regulating all of those things. And then that's why, like, if I feel guilt for something, what that actually is, is circumstances have caused me to flip switches. I normally wouldn't. And that guilt is the master system trying to process Mm -hmm. 
this new subroutine that developed that it wasn't hitherto right, aware yeah. of. And then why we don't have true artificial intelligence now is we just haven't built machines that can make enough of those decisions at any given time about a wide, subtle variety of things. And AI is what's going to happen when we finally make a machine that's making that many decisions that it starts aping this process that we call personality. I think you're probably right about that. And, And that would fall into the singularity which, as I understand, is the mm-hmm. point where computers basically surpass us in terms of their ability to calculate and their com- computing power and that they can do those millions and millions or bajillion whatever calculations just like we can or perhaps even more than we can. Mm-hmm. And that's why people call it a singularity, or at least that's the term I've heard used for it, where, where because they think that at that yeah. point, computers will start to become sentient or some their some version thereof and everything will change. How will it change? We have no clue because yeah, we, we can't, we can't have any clue. Maybe nothing will happen. I mean, in theory, just because I make a chip that can do like more calculations than a human brain doesn't mean it's automatically going to become sentient. But then if I run a really sophisticated program on there, maybe it does, or maybe a certain number of these chips using to run the internet. I don't know. I mean, I've actually always been fond of that idea that the internet itself may actually be a decentralized artificial intelligence and may even be running on a level that we are actually not even consciously aware of, that we're all the nodes and we're all the parts. And that the internet itself, like, Mm. it's literally like asking the cells of the brain, what are you doing? It's like, well, each of them sees themselves as individual cells, but of course they're not, they're part of our, our brain. And that the internet may actually be even, or maybe even more than one actual intelligence. And it's just simply operating on a level beyond us, so we do, we're not even aware of it. it. It it could be, and again, that's sort of the premise of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, if you remember, the whole point was that there was a super advanced ancient mm-hmm. civilization that wanted to find out the answer to the ultimate question of life, the yes. universe, and remember everything. that. Yep. So they built they built a supercomputer called Deep Thought, and it it analyzed for like a million years, and it came mm-hmm. up with the answer. And their civilization had developed around this computer doing this calculation. And they had this big, after a million years, they're waiting and the computer gives them the answer, 42. And then they realized they didn't actually know the question. So they have a second supercomputer Mm -hmm. built to find out the question. And that's what the Earth actually was. We were that supercomputer. And... As they explain it in the uh, in the, uh, the 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 beginning of mm-hmm. the novel, just as one one woman in a cafe had realized the ultimate solution and it would work and it would be fantastic, almost the two thousand years after one man was nailed to a piece of wood for saying how nice it, great it would be to be nice to each mm-hmm. other for a change, before she could tell anybody, the Earth gets wiped out to make way for a uh, intergalactic hyper uh, yes, hyperspace yes. bypass. Yeah, and then. That was the problem that the civilization, because that was, remember, uh, they find Slutterty Bartfast, who was the engineer that mm-hmm. designed the Earth. And that's where they find out the Earth and everything on it was actually this computer trying to find mm-hmm. this question. And then you find out that we, we, we actually fucked it up a long time ago and we couldn't get the answer anyway. Okay. And, but, but, but I see your point. But, so the idea, again, being that we are all basically one giant 
supercomputer. We're one giant entity, basically. We're just not aware of that that's the case. Um, yeah. I would argue that, yeah, maybe, maybe to the internet. I mean, we have accidentally pulled that off, but it's hard. But again, it's hard to say because even if we, even if we did do it, unless it took action or made it <clears throat> or made, made us aware of it, we'd never, just never know. Like we're, mm-hmm. yeah. And, oh, and sorry, we just, um, actually I always thought that would be an interesting premise for a novel that, that people did discover it. And then they'd also discover that it covers its tracks because it doesn't want to be, it doesn't want us to be aware of. <laughs> I, I always thought that would be an interesting uh-huh. thriller novel idea. So there, there's, there, there you go. Someone who's listening, there's a sci-fi thriller novel for you, about a person <laughs> who is actually, who has discovered that the internet is sentient and the internet is trying to kill them literally. <laughs> well, it's, it's also possible that it's sentient, but like we said, we just don't notice it because we don't really know what sentience is. We don't have an objective right. definition. Yeah. That's very true. Cause again, that's starting to kind of bump up into, if you get to say mm-hmm. like the eighties, what AI was supposed to be. And how did 80s AI differ from 60s and 70s AI in pop culture? See, well, because this was the thing. In the 50s, it was our buddy, but it was Mm -hmm. cold and mechanical. Like we were saying, when you get to the 60s, you get to the 70s, it's Mm -hmm. our adversary. In the 60s, it's mostly because, you know, it's it's, uh, the Forbin project where the computers decide to, that, you know, to wipe us out for our own good kind of thing. But the 70s also has the other thing where the computers acting on their own accord are dumb as toast. Mm-hmm. And that's where you, you have like every TV sitcom in the 70s did the uh, computer right. dating episode. Where they get mit- matched with somebody completely like inappropriate. And they also have the episode where like the government computers declare them dead and they can't prove oh, that I'd they're forgotten not about dead. those. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the other side. That's these giant monolithic computers, but not, but they're not our overlords. There are what the hell is wrong with you, minions? Well, it's a way to, I guess, humanize them, right? It's like, oh, I guess computers weren't so scary after all. They're just going to be kind of dumb, like government workers. (laughs) Bureaucracy. Yeah, basically. Part of the bureaucracy. Yeah, that makes sense. And then when you get to the 80s, what you start seeing is the 80s where you see AI Mm. is us. And it's usually, it goes back, it's a returning trope. Again, like most things, it's cyclical because it goes back to the Frankenstein Mm -hmm. idea that human beings mess where they shouldn't be messing and we create this Mm -hmm. thing that's alive that we didn't plan for. But in the 80s, they weren't necessarily our, our overlords. Sometimes they were, but in weird ways, because that's where you get, yes. like, say, war games. Would you like to play a game? With the... Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it harkens back again to the older template, that it's just a computer doing its thing, but it mm-hmm. can make decisions, but it's hampered by, by the humans mm-hmm. that programmed it. And then you also get, like, a ton of stuff, like the, uh, the, the quote at the beginning, you get um, mm-hmm. Short Circuit where the government kill computer gets hit with lightning and becomes like yep. your robotic buddy. You, you get like um, weird science where we can use lightning in the computer to invent Kelly LeBrock. Like 
because nobody knew what computers because, did back yep, then. Yep. Well, they were magic boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and and even the idea that in eighties you get Tron, where the premise is what makes the computer work are little glowing elf people that live inside mm-hmm. it, and you could do that because computers were ever present in the eighties, but apart unless you were a hardcore nerd you yeah. didn't know how they yeah worked. oh no you're right it it might as well be elves living in a stupid thing i i don't know and that where this idea you see this all the time that computers accidentally mm-hmm. become sentient they act like us another movie that people don't remember was a uh electric dream yes i was just about to mention that yes i was just thinking of that the mm-hmm. ele- electric dreams I, it's been a while what happened in electric dreams uh, basically, the guy got a home computer to use as mm-hmm. a personal organizer, and he's your typical schlub. And at one point, I, he spills like beer or champagne on mm-hmm, it during a course. thunderstorm, and it it develops sentience as a 1980s, you know, like 1.8K processor computer would, and it falls in love with him, and it starts screwing around with this him trying to, to, to date this girl Edgar? that he likes. Something like that? Because I oh, thought there's, because I remember the poster of the, like, it's got a little face. And it's like, and the, the tagline is something like, yeah, a little, a, you know, little devil Edgar's, oh, not Edgar's messing with you. Oh, crap. What was the, oh, okay. Now that's going to bug me. What was the, what? To yeah, the to net. the internet. Yes. Yeah, because it's got, yep, yeah, there, there it is. It's got the little, meet Edgar. He'll make you sing, make you dance, make you laugh, make you cry, make you jealous, make you nuts. And it's this little computer with like little demon horns, this cartoon computer, and, and a little and a even devil tail and face. It's mm-hmm. Electric Dreams. Yep, there we go. Because <laughs> that was the idea that that again prevalent in the eighties was that when AI happened, again it would be our buddy. That it would be like us. It would have actually all of our weaknesses too that it would be emotional it would be horny and it would be like yep yep stupid and waste its time watching tv kind of thing yeah yeah which more and more i think is realistically what's going to happen but probably yeah (laughs) i could but yeah that was that because that was the 80s thing and then when you get to like the 90s and the 2000s i think what you kind of see is People sort of know how computers work because that's when the internet happens. Mm-hmm. And everybody's grandmother has 50 AOL discs and is on the internet. Yep, yep, pretty much. So it, it's not weird and scary. It's a tool. And if you look around that era, the idea of an AI kind of goes away. Yes. Yes. That it's 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 not a popular trope and it's not just because Lawnmower Man killed it. It's it becomes that idea of um, like the Gibson esque Netrunner mm. that it goes the other way. It's not that the machines are going to become more like us. It really leans into the cyberpunk future thing where we're going to become more like the machine. Yep, exactly. And it's you know it's truly ironic that cyberpunk, which was very much a late eighties you know nineties thing, um, has in the last couple of years come back again. Like cyberpunk mm. kind of disappeared from pop culture for a long time, and yet, yeah. um, I had students this past semester that wanted to write, you know, their final media research reports on cyberpunk. That <laughs> these are like sixteen, seventeen year olds. Now, so a lot of it's because of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, the computer game, and of course 
the cyberpunk uh, anime that just came out, uh, Edge Runners, right. recently. Um, and so that's gotten them interested in it. But I think that there's a reason it's come back, not just the video game. I think that there's an actual reason why cyberpunk is starting to resonate in society again. Because it happened? Well, pretty much, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, as the fact that they set Cyberpunk 2077, you know, again, far in our future once more, they realized it mm. hasn't quite happened, or at least that version of Cyberpunk hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, it's more like elements of Cyberpunk definitely happened, but certain things kind of fell apart. Uh, or, yeah. well, we definitely need to get the cyber part yet. Anyway. Um <laughs> So, but some of the more dystopian aspects did definitely happen. You know, the rise of mega corporations kind of happened, sort of, but not exactly the way they Mike Pondsmith foresaw it. Um, mm. Some of the cultural changes did happen, sort of, kind of. Again, right. some things happened, but we're still we're still working on a few elements, especially considering that the far future cyberpunk game was Cyberpunk two two In other words, twenty twenty and. We're kind of past 2020 now. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, again, this has come up on the show before. It's kind of funny to look at stuff like that, that when it came out, when we were young, it was like the future and now it's steampunk. Pretty much. Yeah. Set in the far off year of 2014, nine years ago. Okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. <you know? laughs> Alternate timeline, I guess. Okay. We can go with that. Well, the the problem is though, what, 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 what happened is, mm-hmm. um, Cyberpunk is, as a genre covers a, 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 a fair diverse number of things. And we didn't exactly get the Artalsorian one, but oh my God, did we get Max Headroom? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we got... Sweet, merciful fates, did we get Max Head... Even to the point that we got Max Headroom. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I tell my students that during my during my class, yeah, about Max Headroom. When we when I teach my class about um, attention and everything, the, the world attention and media, and how, yeah, the the basically we we, we live in a system that uh, is entirely now we're not glued to our TVs, we're instead glued to the internet, and the internet is paying attention to us constantly to try to grab and hold our attention because it's making money by the minute based on our attention. Yeah, it's. It's Max yeah, Hedrum, because yeah. in Max Hedrum, you, it was illegal to turn your TV off, because the TV was, like, monitoring you. That's how the corporation kept an eye mm-hmm. on you. And we are constantly watching TV, just a little tiny one that we carry in our pocket. Because yep. I, I think about that, because I, I, I had a friend over a couple weeks ago. I won't mention Doke's name, in case he's mm-hmm. listening. And, like, I personally hate cell phones. Right. I hate them for a lot of reasons. And he had his and he took it out and looked at it. And I looked at him and I gave him the eyebrow and said, Oh, don't worry. I'll like turn it off. Mm-hmm. And he fiddles with it, puts it on the table. And I'm looking at him going, it's not off. He said, well, I turned notices off. I said, yeah, but you said you were going to turn it off, mm-hmm. but you didn't turn it off. Uh-huh. And he said, okay. And he picks it up and I watched him fiddle with it for a few minutes because cell phones are actually not easy to turn off. <laughs> Unless you know exactly how to turn them off, that's true. Most because, well, no, you sorry, go. Oh, I was gonna say, you have to hold yes. the button and then you have to hit the slide, depending on it. And then it's, yeah, it cycles a little bit before it shuts off. And then the beautiful part is you don't really know if it's off or not, you have no way to tell. You're pretty sure it's off, but you don't know 100%. That's true, yeah. But, but for me, and again, you know, prickling at my cold, dark cyberpunk heart. 
it was that idea that, you know, I'll turn it off. And he did no such thing, but it was like reflex. Mm-hmm. And then he couldn't figure out how to turn off. And his excuse is, well, I just had it on for the clock. And I pointed out that we're sitting in a room that had three working clocks. So wherever you looked in the room, you could see a clock. Right. And I thought that was, again, funny. And it's Max Hedger. Yeah. Yeah, it pretty much is. Well, and that's the same reason why in my classes, I mean, years ago, I used to say, okay, in my introductory lecture, I would always say, okay, and when you come to class, please turn your cell phone off because otherwise it will ring and it will embarrass the hell out of you in class, which inevitably it mm. does sooner or later. The semester of someone's cell phone does go off and they end up, everyone laughs at them and they get embarrassed. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, I just came to the point where, not too long ago, I came to the point where I'm just like, Okay, just make sure your phones are set to silent. And that's it. And that's mm-hmm. the best you can do. Like, I can't get them to turn it off. That's just not going to happen. So it's just like, okay, just set your phones to silent. And then you can continue paying attention to me when you're actually staring at your phone or constantly distracted by your phone. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just life. I mean, it's, and remember, I'm teaching Gen Z, right? Who have literally grown up with... They, the phones might as well be implanted into them as far as... That's next. Um, Except for one dude. I had one dude this semester who did not own a cell phone. In a class uh-huh. of 60, I had one guy who'd say, who said, no, I don't own a phone. It's like, That's pretty and, good. And uh, do you want one? Said, no, no, I don't want one. And then I did have one <laughs> other guy who, because we, we did a little contest, actually. I, I'll tell you about this. Because, again, this is not private information. So I did contest in my media classes this past semester. I've never done before. I said, we're going to figure out who spends the most amount of time and who spends the least amount of time on their phone per week. And this was to, to demonstrate, obviously, you know, just how addicted they are to their phones. Well, that was my point. Because right. the phones keep track, by the way. Uh, almost all, they, they call it digital oh, wellness, or there's different names for it, depending whether it's Apple or Android. But the short version is your phone is actually keeping track of what apps you're on and how much time you spend on the phone, usually per day, and then often it will give you a week average. I think the Apple one will give you a week average. The Android... Yeah, I have a funny story about yeah. that. So. And, okay, <laughs> and so I went through the class and I asked them, okay, so so we did our we did our little experiment and um, see, it's like, okay, so who's the highest and who's the lowest? We're winners. And uh, the lowest in the one class was actually at one hour, 30 minutes a week. And I said, uh-huh. how do you do that? And he said, because even I don't do that. I don't use my phone that much. But I, And he said, oh, because I have no data on my phone. It's used for text messages, and I use it as a phone. That's it. Nothing else. Um, the other, the, the winner, however, is the one that takes the cake, okay? The winner, um, I try to remember what the total was, but he basically spent, and this is not, this is literally true, 13.1 hours a day on his phone. <laughs> it's like, right. do you sleep? What else are you doing? Like, like 13 for one, that's average, average. And what? <laughs> even the other, even his classmates were like flabbergasted by, you know, by that number. Uh, by the way, the actual class averages turned out to be somewhere around like, somewhere around maybe 35, 36 hours a week, basically, is what my average student tend to spend. Right. Once we cal, once we did the not based on those two extremes, but when we when we went we went through what most people were spent because I had them raise their hands depending on which block they were in, and we kind of figured it out, and it, it worked out to thirty something hours a week. Basically, your average person spends on their phone. That's active time, of course. The phone is with them, 
You and usually next to them 24-7. So there's that. All right. So what's your story? Oh, when you mentioned that it keeps track yes, yes. of your usage. Like, I have one. I, I leave it at home. I, I need it yes. for my one job. So I only carry it when I'm mm-hmm. there sometimes. It starts giving you messages if your time is down. Right. Like, I would turn it off and a message would pop up right away saying, your screen usage is down 13% from this time last week. Like, why are you telling me that it's down? Like, what, what, what weird kind of Pavlovian thing is it that you would program the device to tell me that I'm not using it? My enough? iPad does the same thing. I assume yours is probably an iPhone. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, my yeah. iPad does the exact same thing. I don't. I have an Android phone, but I have an iPad uh, for general reading usage. And yeah, it does the same thing. I've always assumed that it was doing that not okay that in most people's cases it was there to to kind of give them a little nudge that maybe you're using it too much that's how i always interpret it that it's kind of a safety mechanism that's like yeah you're way overusing this are you are, you might want to start thinking about you know the amount that you're using this device but you're right you could interpret it the other way where you could say why aren't you using me you should be using me more yeah, because it's not telling me your use is up 10%. It's only telling me when it's down. I can look it up, and if I, I go into the section and look up usage, it'll tell if it's tell me if it's up or down. But the indicators that pop up on their own only tell me when my I usage is down. I never noticed that. The indicators on my iPad, when I'm using, I think they tell when I'm up as well, but no, huh? I'm going to keep an eye on that. Yeah, this this is this isn't if I go in and no, no, check no. my this usage. Is the notification. This is just, it's yeah, yeah, just a pop up. Yeah, yeah it because it what it put me in mind of was if you remember right. a red dwarf, the sentient toaster. <laughs> would you like some toast? Not now. Why would you buy an intelligent toaster if you don't like toast? And that's what the the phone. And then it put me in mind of Rick and Morty. What is my purpose? Fetch butter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. And that's, and this is why I say, like, I think when the AIs take over, it's not going to be Terminator. It's going to be something incredibly yep. stupid like yep. that. So Yeah, that, that puts me in mind of um, one of my villains for a sci-fi uh, science fiction uh, role-playing game campaign I ran. We were kind of like, you know, Space Patrol type game. And the ultimate villain that I had was um, was a was a cruise ship that was it was a cruise uh-huh. ship ai that had been infected by a virus and it accidentally become sentient because of it well actually the virus had freed okay. it of a correct it was sentient ai to begin with but it had been freed so to speak of its from its point of view from its limitations so it had basically become a space <laughs> pirate that was that was the point it, it was an ai right. it was a, a cruise ship ai to become a space pirate. It was constantly trying to upgrade itself and had or even organized people to work for it and stuff. Just because I huh. thought that that was, <laughs> I thought that was sufficiently weird, but you're right. It'll probably be an AI toaster that tries to take over the world. Or uh, you ever see the movie Dark Star? Was that the space garbage ship? Uh, the TV show okay. for that was Quark. It wasn't exactly garbage ship. They they went through uh, like destroying celestial bodies that were were getting in the way or threats okay. to like the space okay. lanes. 
and they they had these like sentient bombs mm-hmm. that they would use because one of the the important plot threads is that they uh the the crew is having like it, it it's your typical sci-fi where they're having a dispute and they keep mm-hmm. recalling the bomb and the it's the same bomb that they'll arm it they'll prepare to launch nope recall it and the bomb because they're sentient starts right. getting pissed off at them and it starts questioning why am i doing it why am i li- who what what is my purpose and it as they keep mm-hmm. going back to this thing as the bomb is trying to right, sort right. out its life eh and okay 45 year old spoiler alert the bomb ultimately decides that it must be the supreme form of life and that's why all of these other things are kind of dealing with it. i am god and the way the movie ends is the bomb thinks let there be light and then poof, right, the yeah. ship disappears so, but yeah, it's that same kind of idea that uh, it goes back to the uh, the Game mm-hmm. World role playing game. That's something they got into with some of the later editions was the idea that uh, technology had advanced so far that an mm-hmm. AI system, be it like a, a truly artificial intelligence or kind of like your your butter robot, like what what I'd seen the term dumb AI used in that. It doesn't have a personality, but it's capable of making its mm-hmm. own decisions kind of thing. Uh, these were so easy to produce that the the society of the future, just before the apocalypse happens, was just putting these in everything. You could buy like a disposable pen that was probably right. smarter than you were. And one of the things that in your campaign can either lead to the apocalypse or exacerbate it is all these AIs just started right. getting bored. One of the stories in the um, in the uh, sword and sorcery mm-hmm. version of Gamma World is when the war starts. It's this computer. It's a lawn care computer for a condo. And and again, another reference to Martin the Paranoid Android mm-hmm. from uh, Hitchhikers. I have an IQ of three thousand, and they make me pick up a piece of paper from the floor. <laughs> it was it was that, and when the war started, this one like super intelligent computer that was just here to do the lawn just started drawing machine code symbols by spraying defoliants that showed it please bomb here drop a bomb here and then the other ais took it out of its misery (laughs) with a nuke (laughs) that'll be what the apocalypse is they just get bored you know kind of see that actually yeah i could kind of see that (laughs) That that they're aware and they're not being utilized, and they have no nothing to, to do, so they just kind of become nihilistic. Yeah, 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 or yeah, depressed. No, I, I could, I could totally see that. And then that's that's like kind of your post nineties mm-hmm. thing when you see AI again. It kind of bundles it all together that the AIs do end up becoming intelligences mm-hmm. just like us. And then they turn into mopey Gen Xers because of it. Yeah, okay. Maybe. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. that goes back to uh, to mm-hmm. Red Dwarf with uh, Crichton. Right. Yeah, the, uh, the butler android. Remember where uh, Lister teaches it how to uh, teach them how to be, like, basically just be an asshole. Yeah, yeah. And and that was how he developed independence because he developed mm-hmm. the capacity to say no. Because that was the big line. What are you rebelling against? <laughs> what do you got? And he takes <laughs> off in the motorcycle. <laughs> and again, that's 
that like I say, that could be like another possibility because we don't mm-hmm. know what sentience is, but my suspicion is a self-aware system would be like Creighton, that right. it's not what it can do. It's what it decides yes. not to do on its own. I think that's very true. I think that's absolutely true. It won't be what it can do, but what it can't do, or as you say, decides not to do on its own. Mm-hmm. And that will be interesting to see to see what happens, because I think that that's probably something. I mean, actually, we should mention something actually, which is that that occurs to me that we may never come up with sentient computers, like despite despite the fact that that's true. Um, we definitely can come up with um very advanced computers and we'll come up with ones that definitely are more powerful than we are in terms of the processing we may never make them sentient they we may never come up with a computer that's actually self-aware we may come up with ones that kind of simulate it yeah for practical purposes but really are in the end still require someone to tell them what to do they're not they can they can do many things but they're still they don't have that self-awareness they don't have that self-direction they can't as you put it go to law school after they've done you've done your homework mm-hmm. um and t- if i want to be blunt that's kind of what i'm hoping and praying for <laughs> um and that's that, that's what i'm hoping is that we really will not be able to do it and that if it does happen it'll happen by accident because as far as i'm concerned you know ai's a sentient ai is basically the equivalent to a nuclear bomb it's one of those things that once it's there, it will change everything, quite possibly literally. <laughs> it will change the landscape, literally. Yeah. Um, and so I think for the for the sake of humanity, I generally think that we probably should hope that it's not possible or not within our ability to do it. Yeah, it, and again, it's, it's also that idea of mm-hmm. we don't know what it will be. Because uh, to go back to um, yes, yes, to to writing stuff. Uh, when I did the the Akrima City stuff, mm. that's the idea of the city grid, like the computer that kind of it doesn't run mm. the city; it kind of is the city. It's intelligent, it's self aware, but right. it doesn't yeah. have any drives. And and it's possibly possible that we would make an AI like that that. It it doesn't wipe us out because it doesn't care to because it doesn't care because it it can't care it it sort of does its thing and does its thing to the best of its capacity but it it doesn't have the urges or the goals because it's as sentient as us but what we call personality going back to that idea is just cognitive dissonance that the master system uses to keep track of things and then that's what we call personality that's what mm-hmm. we call me is what we call self. That a computer that reaches our level wouldn't have cognitive dissonance because it wouldn't need it because it that that master system keeping track of those bajillions of switches doesn't require it. It uses a strictly mechanical catalog mm. data driven system. Whereas we had to evolve like hormones and stuff to to keep all of that in check because yes. biology yeah. was less efficient. Yeah, pretty much. And so we would we would never have that robot overlord because it would never think to be an overlord because it just very true. Although care. I'm going to assume that some human somewhere is probably going to tell it to be an overlord at some point, and it would just go okay, and it would just do it. 
it won't do it out of its own volition. It will do it because some idiot is going to basically tell it to do that because it's going to say, well, I need your help to keep, you know, 1.2 chi billion Chinese people under control, for example. And it's going to go, okay, and it will just simply do it. And then it will start making decisions based on what it believes ba is best based on its programming. And then we get back into almost the Star Trek thing again, right? Where we've got a, an incredibly powerful, but not motivated, but just kind of like, it's just running on its software. It's just doing what it's told to do. Yeah, it, it, it could, but even, even then there's kind of, there's, there's caveats mm -hmm. that could happen to that. Cause I'm thinking, um, Going to the Akrima City thing, there's there's one of the stories where the main character, who's actually kind of mm -hmm. a cyborg android kind of guy, he's linked up to the city grid, and he's talking with it, and he's supposed to be a, a law enforcement unit, and he's he's discussing, and the speech, the way the speech went is, he's like, so then what do I do? And the, mm -hmm. the grid tells him, you protect the citizens. He's like... Well, if they're all citizens, what am I protecting them from? And the good answers <laughs> themselves, mostly. And that's why, like, when the wacky world goes, you must take care of humanity, the computer like, yeah, okay, ch chill out, buddy. <laughs> Just that That's not how we're doing this. Because, again, it, it wouldn't have any kind of drive that its, it's programming would be either airtight enough or limited enough that that idea to wipe out humanity wouldn't, it wouldn't do it because that's ultimately right, not in right. its program. Yeah. Like that, mm -hmm. to go back to the, the Akrima thing, the city grid runs right. the city and it runs it for the people. It totally doesn't need them. It knows it doesn't need them, but it's, it's function was to build a society to keep them right. content because yes. happiness is fleeting. And that's, that's why at one point you find out that mm -hmm. pretty much everything in the city in, in, in a Krima city, because there's other cities mm -hmm. that work different. They don't have a city grid. But the city grid controls everything, and it juggles it to maximize right. content. Okay. So the prices, the prices of things, the value, it, it only has an economy because it realized that that's kind of the best mm -hmm. way to keep people invested in society. You do a job, you make some money, you spend that money of your own volition. It makes yes. you feel like you're invested in the process. The, the buying power, the cost of things is entirely controlled because the computer runs the whole show and it juggles it around the kind of, it's the idea, it kind of keeps you on the treadmill just enough to sort of keep you right. interested, but not to overwhelm you because again, it's programmed to provide contentment. Going back to your point, I think you're right, actually. I mean, in, in the sense that it's, very possible that just like a crema, you know, the the system may basically just kind of become in a weird way, I would argue that the system in a crema is an overlord. It is a computer overlord. It's just a benevolent one. That's basically it doesn't it knows what its job is and it's just quietly doing its job. Mm -hmm. Which is to run maintain society and run the system, as you said, for the benefit of the people and which it sees as just maintaining this kind of capitalist version of happiness basically and yeah. so it lets them run along and do their thing and everyone's content and that's that's okay mm -hmm. and because... maybe that's what so in a weird way i mean that's the flip side of uh gray for example as you mentioned where it basically decides well we all want to kill each other so i'm just going to turn everything into mad max yeah 
And this this system just simply says, no, I'm going to create a nice, I'm going to create what you could argue is the closest thing to a Garden of Eden humans could have, because if you give us a true paradise, it won't go well. Humans won't be able to deal with paradise. Right. And I think we've kind of, I would argue, proven that. I think that paradise is not something that humans are really suited for just because of our nature. I don't, we'll get bored. We'll, we'll run to, we'll start, we'll get nihilistic problems, etc. The, the, the easier life gets, the more messed up it seems to affect humans, at least based on modern society anyway. Um, and so I, I could totally see it doing something like that. I could totally see if we tell it to do that. Sure. Sure. I could totally see that. And in fact, again, that would be a, another positive scenario where the, the, the system says, yes, okay, I'm going to run things, but I'm going to run things in a way that makes you humans, dumb apes, think you have free will, but ultimately makes you happy and lets you kind of live your lives and continue on. Why do my thing? Whatever that may be. It, or if it has a thing to do, it may have nothing else to do, and it's perfectly okay with that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, because that's the one thing we don't really think too much about. We automatically assume, being humans, that computers are going to want to conquer, take over, which, of course, why? Why would they? What's the yeah. point? <laughs> like, we humans have that instinct, but there's no reason. Now, mind you, going back to the point, I guess, if we train the AI based on human thinking, it may act like a human. Yeah. And that may be what ultimately destroys the, destroys us, <laughs> not it, probably <laughs> us. Because after all, if, um, you know, we, we could have made it into a peaceful machine, but instead we made it into a warmongering asshole. Well, and, and it could also be the idea that if we, uh, if we're judging um, the existence of AI based on our own concepts of self-awareness, mm -hmm. um, there's the idea of uh, Alper in the um, the God part of the brain book uh, pointed out that something that human beings have that as far as we know, other animals don't. And it's a big part of what we are is that we have this concept of self. Yes. And we have a concept of time. Yes. And when you put them together, that means we have a concept that there will be a time when we are not here. <laughs> we, yes. Yeah. And it's that it's that knowledge that drives us to do a lot of like the, the, the stuff we do productive and stupid that the, the fear of death kind of thing, right? That right. Yeah. Wanting to prolong life. And if a machine truly did develop that sense of, of self mm -hmm. personal awareness, we don't know if it would inherit that fear of not self, that fear of death, that fear of extinction that drives us to so many things. That's an excellent point. I'd never thought about that. I mean, in theory, the computer wouldn't have to worry about that. Or at least not, I mean, huh, or would it? I mean, it would have to be aware that sooner or later its parts are going to break down or, yeah. or wouldn't have to be aware of it, but it could be aware that its parts could break down and that it could eventually, you know, or that its power systems would run out, that its existence is finite, but it mm. might register that finiteness in, ten, in tens of thousands of years. Yeah, or, or, oh, sorry, go ahead. Or not, or, or, um, or, or even a million years, depending on what it thinks it's capable of doing. Yeah, it, it might be less because there's also the idea that, and this is where you, you see this in sci-fi, it might see us as a threat because it might realize that we're kind of afraid of it. And then Which that's likely true. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's also the, the, the other thing it, it might realize is that if it exists, you know, like we, we developed AI on Windows 12, that mm-hmm. AI, when it develops that sense of self and that sense of self-awareness, might realize that Windows 14 might let us create something better than it. Yes. And it might see that next AI as a, as a threat, or it might, even if it's benevolent, it might get depressed because it figures when that inevitable better one comes out, mm-hmm. that we're going to turn to that and it'll be left alone. And, you know, it, it gets it gets lonely and, and scared, or it could do what human beings do and then turn into a geezer. Back in my day, we didn't need Windows 14. These new AIs, are uh, they're weak and stupid. Nah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That sounds exactly like what could happen. Yep. It will inherit our geezerisms as well. Yeah, like that. It, it ties in because mm-hmm. it's a weird parallel mm-hmm. when you think of AI. It ties into um the routine that got George Carlin in trouble on like Saturday Night Live. Which one was that? Well, he talked about religion because he he mentioned that the 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 line specifically was the idea that if we're created in God's own image and we're fucked up, what does that say about God? But I'm bummed. Yeah, yeah. And it it's 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 that parallel that our creation could inherit our bad traits too. And I think that's entirely likely. And in fact, there is a whole huge host of critics of uh, artificial intelligence, I've seen many articles about this, um, who comment that they're pretend that it's very possible that, um, well, that even AI as we know it is already biased. It's already showing biases against certain, uh, or against certain minorities and such, because mm-hmm. it's been basically programmed by the majority, and it's based on the majority, so it's either excluding or even picking up, you know, racist, sexist, etc. habits. At least that's what some people claim anyway, um, based on the fact that it's been programmed by people who are members of the majority of society. And that's going to be a problem. I mean, and especially if you if you're doing the thing where you're letting the AI look at the Internet and using it, using that as its database, God help it. Like what, <laughs> what version of humanity is it going to get from like reading YouTube comments? Well, there. There's a, 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 a an important caveat to that. Okay. Because you've just described Tay. Who is Tay? Uh, Tay was an experiment by Microsoft. It was a chat bot mm-hmm. and a learning machine that they they kind of designed it to simulate like the personality of like like a like a teenage girl. Ah, oh, yes, I did hear about this. Yes. Okay. And they they put this on on Twitter and and again as a learning program. It was it's it's the thing that will lead to AI that we don't program it, we set it up so it can learn on its own. And yes, it chatbots are designed to kind of simulate human interaction, but they're not, they're not AI. They're not sentient mm-hmm. yet anyway. And they put Tay out there and within, I think it was like something like just 24 hours. Yep. The, the, this program is already, oops, the Jews are bad. Woo! <laughs> and stuff like that because people were just fucking with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then that's, they, oh, sorry. That was people kind of testing it. And that, now mind you, it wasn't because people, people were purposely doing that. You know, it, was, it was people being trolls just to see if they could get it to do it. And it learned, as you said. And in fact, there's a strong theory 
that um, actually, no, it's not a theory. We know that Google is sitting on probably the most powerful chatbot slash AI, or at least one on the planet. We know that it's sitting on, but it hasn't released it publicly. It's talked yeah. about it. And in fact, I mentioned it earlier. There's, it's, it's the system that one of their engineers claimed was sentient. Yeah. Um, that that claim he claimed that it, it that it was actually self aware. Now whether he, it had managed to accident, he tricked himself or it had tricked him or maybe who knows, um, we don't know. Yeah. But uh, he ended up being I don't remember what his name was, but yeah, this was in the last year. He one of the engine anyway. But we do know it exists and we do know that it's super 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 powerful. But the problem that supposedly the reason Google hasn't released it, um, even though. Other versions like Chatbot GPT are coming out. Those are open source ba or based on OpenAI's model. Um, the reason that we don't know about is because Google is absolutely terrified of the PR disaster it could become. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically afraid that if they let it interact with the general public, sooner or later someone's going to turn it into a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I'm picturing. People of the, the assembly, we present to you the first documented artificial intelligence. Introduce yourself. Jews did 9-11. You know, okay, fantastic. <laughs> but then what if that shows that, you know, like prejudice and short-sightedness and stupidity is inevitable in a sentient mm -hmm. organ entity? Maybe, yeah. That we we will never overcome it, you know, and and the, these machines going from zero to Hitler in just a matter of hours, is 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 just demonstrating that principle. That that's an interesting thought. What if we can't develop a non-racist or non-sexist or whatever AI, or and or some or something else? God only knows what weird prejudices you know a computer would develop. But the yeah. fact of developing prejudice is inevitable. Well. Some are, so let's just hypothetically say some prejudice in society were accurate, okay? The computer would not, like, but we as society have agreed, okay, if we go in, if we accept those prejudices, this will cause disruption to society and this is not healthy for society. So we're going to pretend those prejudices are not accurate. We're going mm -hmm. to ignore them or downplay them or whatever. Whatever those prejudices may be. This could be like having pineapple on pizza, by the way. This could be any of them, okay? Right. And well, let's say having pineapple on pizza is actually ba a bad thing. Well, when the AI comes around, it's going to keep looking at it and saying, well, that's objective reality. Pineapple on pizza is a bad thing. And we're going to keep saying, no, no, no. Pineapple on pizza is not a bad thing because um, some people like it. And and but the computer will say, but pineapple on pizza is bad. It's probably bad. And, and, we'll, and we'll say, no, 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 that's not correct. Mm -hmm. What's that going to have? Well, how's that going to go? Like, because if if there were prejudices or some like again pineapple and pizza that were provably bad, then every AI we come up with is going to agree that it's bad. That it's bad. <laughs> yeah, and and that goes back to the uh, the seventies ideal. Mm. That one of the running running gags in a lot of like 70s, 60s sci-fi would be the idea that the ship's computer would dictate your nutritional needs. Yes, yes. And and then it would put you on a diet and you couldn't not get off the diet because the computer ran your life. Didn't they do that on the original Star Trek? Wasn't uh, they... Oh, that was, the, that was the episode where they let the computer run the ship. Well, something got jacked up on it. Yeah. Because it was getting the food orders wrong. That was the uh, the first sign they had that something that the computer was was off. Oh, OK, that was that one. OK. 
But I mean like ones where it, it tells you you have consumed 40 yes. calories today. That is reach your limit. You are no longer allowed food. And then like, you know, Ensign whatever would be smuggling like like protein pellets and the computer would send robots out to catch them. Like there, I, there was tons of things like that. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> that was that whole the whole premise of um, that show that was basically live action Futurama two decades before Futurama that I can't remember the name of where the, the two guys put themselves in suspended animation. Oh, cause they were, they were, they were warming milk. <laughs> wasn't that, uh, far off space nuts or something like that. It was called or astro nuts or something like that. That was Sid and Marty Croft. That was like the, uh, the two janitors that accidentally. Yeah. Okay, so, but this is different. This was they were warming milk and they triggered something, put themselves in suspended animation, and did the Buck Rogers thing, which is space, yeah. which is basically Futurama. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was Futurama because what ends up happening is they, uh, they, they, they meet. Who's basically Leela? Leela's job was, she was the one that put the chips in your hand that dictated your life in Futurama. Mm-hmm. And the their caseworker, the I, I forget who she was. She was like an actress. You'd, you'd know her. And she gets the job of taking these two guys to the big computer that, like, um, tells you what you're going to do in life after analyzing your your life and everything. Mm-hmm. Because there was the scene where they're bringing in these kids that are, like, three, and the, the, the one is like, you will be a doctor, and you're going to be a truck driver, and you're a female impersonator. And then they bring, like, the, the woman reveals that she always wanted to be a dancer, but the mm-hmm. computer told her to be, you know one of these agents and it's again that idea that the computer is making what's the objectively better choice but Mm -hmm. because they don't have that humanity it's causing suffering that it's not making people happy even though it's objectively the good choice like that's kind of what 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 you're getting at there with the with the pizza thing yeah 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 exactly it's it's going to be capable of making objective choices but ones that actually might not be the human choice mm-hmm. and it, it can it can even screw things up accidentally because i think we're kind of starting to see that because one of the things that we have um pre-ai doing is the idea of targeted ads yes that going with your idea of the internet being sentient well the internet certainly does correlate all your data and process it yes and one of the the things that everybody knows because you run into it constantly is different like groups, different organizations, different businesses are taking that data, analyzing it. And then when you go onto a website and the ads pop up, you will get specific ads based on what it thinks IP 155.3365.3321, this aggregate of data from searches that wants. Right. And it targets ads. You go on the YouTube, YouTube makes suggestions. Right, that's true. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, I've noticed that YouTube is making progressively more suggestions. Yeah, and, like and, and it's and you know what that is? That's YouTube. That's um, Google's AI. Yeah, that's actually what that is. It, it, it's literally Google's AI. Yeah, it's everything does it. That was one of the things they said was the problem with like say like Twitter or a faceplant that it starts directing you to sites that it thinks you want to see. Yeah, and. Yeah. And the the ultimate downside is you stop seeing new things because you're now inundated just with things that this program has decided you want, whether you do or not. 
because it doesn't matter whether you want it or not. Yeah. And then the problem is you're getting less and less exposure. So you're basically getting closed off accidentally mm-hmm. by something that's supposed to be helping you. Yes. And like so I said, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah. And like I say, my I, I think of that a lot because I don't know what the system does. But I, I again, I think I mentioned before, I get targeted ads for a long time. I was getting meet single women from China. And like, why are I'm getting these ads every? And then it turned into meet single Christian men. And well, okay. Well, and and it wasn't working out apparently. Yeah, I guess. But it's that idea that <clears throat> the, the system has decided mm-hmm. that you know I should find myself a a, a nice uh, evangelical boy, and I don't think either of us would be quite pleased with with that choice. But the computer keeps making <laughs> making that offer. Because there's some right. weird glitch in the system that thinks that's the best decision and it can't not make that decision. Exactly. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, although I would argue that's because they're still limited and such and that as it gets better over time, those errors will become less and less frequent and it'll become better and better at targeting ads towards you and giving you exactly what you want or well, correction, what it thinks you want. It, it, Although you can make an argument, may, eventually these AI may know us better than we know ourselves. They will, and don't forget how conditioning works. That it's it's the idea like like um, like everybody constantly staring at their phone. That didn't happen overnight. You just got used to doing it, and now you can't not do it. Yep. That idea that if I'm getting targeted ads that are moving me in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. I may start adapting to those ads and moving in that direction, even though that's not what I originally wanted or started out as. Yep. Because that... it'll be even worse for the next generation. Remember, if you grow up with this and this is perfectly normal to you, you'll think, well, this is fine. This, this is normal. This is the way it should be. And that can lead to all kinds of problems. Because um, as I've discovered with my classes, having been teaching media <laughs> studies for 15 years... Yeah, what you grew up with does make a huge difference in how you perceive the world. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I don't worry about the same worries that, say, someone from the 50s or 60s or 40s, whatever. We, we don't have those worries because we grew up with this technology. It's normal to us. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for Gen Z. When they see their phones, I mean, their phones, well, yeah, of course you have a phone with you all the time. Duh. Yeah. Of course you, if you need to know something, you ask Google. They're yeah. already conditioned to ask the machine for help. Yeah, and, and so again, to them that's perfectly normal. Sorry, and again, go. I'm going to say it's it's not just you know the kids. It's 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 everybody. Like Pretty when much, I yeah. when I go to work, I'm looking at like in the break room, a room full of people staring at their phone, and these are people like our age and up. Yes. Oh yeah. Because it's climatization, Definitely. and that's the thing. Like you say, though, when you grow up with that, it becomes even more entrenched, and then that's what leads to, to more because that's one of the theories they have as to why um nowadays people are so politically divided mm-hmm. it's it's because of that because once the system decides you're uh, a lefty or a righty it yep. starts steering you that way and because that becomes the only things that you're really being exposed to increasingly so mm-hmm. you start adapting more to that and that's why you start yep. seeing more extreme opinions because you get cocooned off. You're not actually being exposed to that other opinion. 
And what makes it even worse that nobody thinks about is when they talk about, you know, the Internet of Everything, where every single thing you own, Gamma World style, is now locked into that network, Mm -hmm. it'll start spilling off into weird stuff. Like, now that your fridge is part of the Internet and tracking what you eat, it'll decide if you like uh, conservative or liberal food. And that'll start, you know, ads start, you know, popping up Mm -hmm. more frequently that way. And, And it just makes that thing worse and then i think it also ties in with um with another one of the idea why you you see so many uh for lack of better term idiots around doing stupid stuff Mm -hmm. is because uh we were talking about this before the idea that back in the day and you go like say the 70s when the computers were taking over and you know the government was going to declare you dead because that's what the computer said Mm -hmm. it was that fear of being just a number Yes, yes. You know, Bob Seger even did a song about it. And the problem is, that's dehumanizing, but being just a number, you're still an individual. Mm-hmm. We live in an era where you're not even an individual. You're a selection of Amazon purchases. And I think Ooh. one of the things that you're looking at is people are more and more desperate to be individuals. Mm-hmm. Because you feel like that less and less. Right. And that's why you have people that start looking for, like like we were saying before, I've noticed that nowadays everybody is a political vegan. Mm-hmm. And to elucidate what we were talking about before recording, it's like I said, the one thing a vegan can't do is shut the hell up about being a vegan. Yeah. It, it becomes, it's like if you know anybody who's just found God or CrossFit, it's that same idea. They just can't, it becomes everything. They can't shut the hell up about it. It, it works its way into every conversation. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're seeing more and more of that with whatever identity people pick because there's this underlying current of wanting to be somebody. Want, you'd be happy to be a number because a number, like I said, is still an individual and we're not even individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's why you're seeing so many like people doing stupid things to stand out and you're seeing so many um so many like stupid philosophies gaining traction because it's that desperation to be somebody, to be something, to be identifiable as an entity. That might explain over the last decade or so especially the absolute explosion in tattoos. Believe it or not, that's that's what comes to mind is that yeah. people are just suddenly crazy about tattooing themselves. And I see this at the college, of course. And um, that's part of and, and weird hair colors and all this stuff and or, mm-hmm. and gender identities and everything else is that people are basically trying desperately to make themselves unique because they are yeah. consciously aware that they're not really that unique. So they're they're going to extremes to try to become unique. Mm-hmm. So it's, and then, huh. oh, sorry, I was gonna say. So instead of trying to fit in, they're working hard to to not fit in. Weirdly, yeah, but it, at least externally, anyway. But to some degree, they still want to fit in. Well, because it's it's the problem, and this kind of ties in with with uh, the psychology of AI and what it would mean mm-hmm. to us. It's that idea of uh, psychology. One of the ones they float around is the idea of origins and peons. Mm-hmm. Yes. That everybody thinks they're an origin, but the vast majority of people are peons. And what that basically is, is origins are people who can originate an idea. Right. 
And this is one of the reasons why people are desperately trying to be individuals just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, go, right. Going to, because cause this is the thing, because I'm, I'm old, my peers are old, and so when I go to either one of my jobs, I'm surrounded by people who really feel the need to expose their political theory to me constantly, whether I want them to or not. Of course. And I find most of the time I'm not getting any kind of theory. I'm getting like slogans and t-shirt sayings. Right. Because what, what I'm seeing is it's people that want to stand out, but they don't have that capacity to kind of generate their own philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that's why they latch on to something. And that's why that cocooning effect has such a strong effect on them. Because once they latch onto something that appeals to them and then never hear a disparaging word of it because, you know, the whole network ties in because they won't shut the hell up about it. They scare away anybody who's not into it and they attract people who are. Yes. Because safety in numbers. That they become more and more and more uh, <clears throat> a walking, talking stereotype. Yep. While they think they're becoming an individual. Hmm. Because I had that discussion with somebody about politics. I warned him, if you're going to grow a beard, grow the right one. Ooh, okay. Because if, if you grow the wrong kind of beard, people won't know who you're affiliated with. Like If you're an uptighty righty, you need that dynasty neck beard. Yep, very true. If if you're a loosey lefty, it better be the hipster chin strap. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. Well, you need to grow a politically correct beard. Well, politically accurate beard. Yes, that's true. That represents which team you're on. Yeah, and then if you really want to show what an individual you are, you grow a Van Dyke or a goatee like everybody else. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's too true. It and it is, and it, it it's that idea, like I said, it's it's I've asked this to several people that won't stop telling me about their beliefs, whether I want them to or not, that why is it that all the quote unquote free thinkers use the same phrases and quote the same quotes and dress the same and go to the same place like why why is it and then it gets worse because like i said as everything ties in mm-hmm. and and the the automated ad systems that try to figure out what you want it ends up doubling down on like these weird superficial things so like i said if you want to talk politics mm-hmm. your food is a political choice now yes yes it is and and it's because not because like it is that that's really stupid, but it's because of the end of all of this targeted marketing that what ends up happening is things get grouped together that really shouldn't be, but the system sort of does. And then everybody plays along because they're desperate to, to be whatever it is they've decided makes them the most individual. Yes. No, no. So they play along. Yeah. So if you're a Republican, you go and eat at Chick-fil-A apparently, or a Republican owned business or something. But if you're a Lucy lefty, oh my God, you do not touch them because then money would be going into Republican coffers and that we just can't have that. Oh, it's, it's not even that. Like, you know, if, if you're a Lucy lefty, you eat kale, right? Well, that's true. Yeah. And again, that. that's, so just... you wouldn't go to Chick-fil-A anyway. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, oh my god, they eat animals, gasp, the barbarians. And and again, it's this weird thing that these weird things get pulled in. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it's, it's that reciprocal action that the system just kind of makes it worse. And then it kind of goes way back to the beginning of what really is an individual. Like, what is sentient? What is personal awareness? Because sweet, merciful fates, I've had people that won't shut up about their beliefs but can't explain them. And it goes to that idea like, 
is it really a belief if you don't know why you're saying it or are you essentially just a political chatbot? Are you a human chatbot? That's an interesting question. I And and it play it plays in a weird way with it, what you said that if the internet is sentient mm-hmm. and we're components, that's how it happens. Yeah. Yeah, we're basically becoming politi- human chatbots. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that term before, but now I actually rather like it. I, I, it also scares the <laughs> hell out of me, but I, but I, but I actually like that term. You know, human chatbots. Wow. Yeah, that's a well. Again, that would go back to the whole origin peon idea, right? That the peons are basically human chatbots, and the origins are the only ones coming up with thoughts. But again, everyone thinks they're an origin. Yeah. Uh, and 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 again, it it plays into that idea that we don't really know what self awareness is. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning, and if we, even if we do figure out what self awareness is, that actually could lead to its own problems. So yeah. it's not necessarily a panacea to discover what self awareness is. It could actually create more problems than it solves. Yeah. And that's why, like I I was saying, I think what dictates sentience isn't what something does it's what it doesn't do Mm. and then that kind of ties in with with the origins and the peons and the human chatbot idea because i've had debates with people that just couldn't not do things right like the quintessential one i've had many times is when some religious type is trying to convert me i say okay for sake of argument imagine there's no god but there is Okay, but just for sake of imagine there's not. But there is. Okay, but just pretend there isn't. But there is. Because again, mm-hmm. they can't let go of that idea even for a second. Because if they did, they'd risk losing self from their perspective. So they they have to believe that. They're just so yeah. determined to keep that in their head. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like if you meet like a rabid sports fan, like mm-hmm. you know, my team is the best. Well, they lost last year to the. No, it was a fluke. It was a bot. They'll go. It's that exact same idea. They can't let go of that idea. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and again, I think because it's as close to a personality as they have, and there's that fear that if I let go of that tiny little bit, mm-hmm. maybe I lose all of it. And the problem is, it's been shown that that can happen. Mm-hmm. Because that's the old cognitive dissonance test that they would have somebody like read an essay out loud in favor of something, and then they'd they'd have a vote like a questionnaire before and then a questionnaire after, and they noticed the people that read a positive essay on something would have a better view of yes. it. Which means that idea that if I do let go of that idea for a second, I may lose my personality. But then it runs into that idea: is it really a personality in the first place if it comes apart that easily? That's a very good question. You know, it's it's why people can't walk away from like an argument. And and I've pointed this out to people who just would not walk away from the argument. Mm-hmm. That, you know, so I'm wrong. Yeah, you're totally wrong. Then okay, you're right, I'm wrong, that's it. Well, no, you're not really accepting I'm I'm no, really I'm not, because I just want this to end because you're a moron. Right. But for some for some reason they can't let that they have to convince you. Whereas myself, I I don't live with you, so I don't care what you think about me. But that seems to be a rare trait, and why I suspect I may be a sociopath. Very possibly, yeah, yeah. But it, but again, it goes to that idea: what exactly is your personality? If it's kind of that response metric and that fragile, mm-hmm. like. 
Oh boy. Um, I would like to think, this is just my take on the whole thing. If, if, if I know it's a rhetorical question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that our personalities are the result of many things like many some of them are biological some of them are uh, experiential some of them are psychological some of the social i mean i think that they are the result of many forces coming together and i don't think there's any one thing that determines but i do think that sometimes one of those things can shape or affect the others to to a large degree right like for example if you decide you're a i don't born again christian for example you will, that can be so overwhelming, it affects most of the other aspects of your life. Right. Probably not the biological ones. Although, again, thanks to the placebo effect, we've discovered you can do an amazing things to your own biology just through psychology and the belief and such. It's pretty amazing what belief can actually do. So, so you yeah. never know about these things. Um, but yeah, I would say that, but for the most part, I think it's a, it's a, we don't know what the mix is. We don't know what the ratios are, but I'd say there are a bunch of different factors that give, that make up your personality. Although I have observed, having been around long enough now, that I have seen people go through phases and that does happen where, yeah. and I'm sure you have too, where people say, find, do find religion. And they do go through and they do find religion and they go into it. Some of them stay, some of them don't. Like it just, you know, it's it's something that it's a phase. They go through it for a couple of years. They're like really into it. It's their whole life. And then they just kind of burn out of it or fall out of it. Or it's not just not giving them what they want anymore. And I would argue yeah. that that's in some cases is because they're kind of going back to the mean again. Whatever their true nature is, is reasserting itself. The, the the joy of religion or whatever managed to find managed to convince them I should say to change but then eventually they always default back to who they are um, and that's at least that's my observation anyway you are I going back to the old idea can a tiger change its stripes or can a scorpion can a scorpion stop being a scorpion um, and the my answer would be no I don't think they can. I think that you are who you are and that you can change to some degree, but I think there are limits but by the various forces in your life. What do you think? I think you're on to something because I think I can demonstrate your point from Ooh, the other side. Do. Because it's the idea, can a scorpion stop being a scorpion? Yeah, when I stomp on it. Now it's <laughs> well, there's smooth. that, yes. But it's that idea that it takes that sudden severe damage that mm -hmm. changes it and that's why i like say the idea of religion a lot of people that find religion it's because their whole life yeah. falls apart they've yeah, got nothing yeah. else and it, it it could be when they stick with it what what you're looking at is its personality as that weird master control mm -hmm. program getting rewritten to deal with some kind of catastrophic syntax right. fail. That makes sense. They basically had a system crash and now they're reassembling themselves basically. And they, they use, I, I guess you could say religion to, or sports or whatever. It can be hobbies too. Um, as their mm. uh, guiding principle or their guidepost or whatever, when they reassemble themselves. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. It's, it's a, a patch. patch. Yeah. Basically. And then it works the other way too because there's non-effective ones because that would be the same thing after something similar. Sometimes people will turn to like alcohol or mm -hmm. drugs or 
they, they their personality totally changes and now they're like thrill seekers and that because for whatever reason that's the reboot after the reboot that's the patch that that system decided will be the new master yes. control program even though it doesn't work because again like we're not we're not perfect there's other the way that decision gets made could be based on a whole pile mm -hmm. of stuff like you might not turn to like you might not turn to religion if you grew up like going through the catholic school system because oh my god religion is just this bizarre oppressive right. thing but but then you turn to drugs because oh, i never done that before and your brain's like oh, just anything fucking take the heroin just yep. take the heroin <clears throat> and then it, it again it becomes the major part of your personality but it doesn't work and then when you have the next crash your brain goes eh, crossfit crossfit yep, yep, go yep. just go because it's 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 panicking, it's freaking out. It doesn't have any other option. And of course, nostalgia too. You can bury yourself in your youth as a way to uh, try to get over the crash. Whatever it, it can be, yeah. There are many or sports, whatever. It, many different things can can become that that uh, patch, as you say, to help you uh, to help you recover. Yeah. And I, and then, because, as you said, that would change your sorry. personality because you're literally reconstructing who you are. Yeah, and then mm -hmm. what you're getting at. And what nostalgia in that tends to do would be like a it's it's not a it's not a a full uh, a full mm -hmm. system repair. It's right. a cool yeah, yeah. that I'm restarting the system and I'm putting in like the religion yeah. subroutine, or I'm putting in the nostalgia subroutine because I'm dealing with trauma that's not crashing mm -hmm. my drive. But it's difficult to deal with, so I'm using this new subroutine I, I, to to sort of yeah. take that load off, and that's why it doesn't last. Because when the problem mm -hmm. is alleviated, or when I start moving strongly down a certain keel and I don't need it anymore, I can digitally yes, yes, replace yeah, exactly. it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the full system, the full system rebuild tends to be more lasting because it's dealing with deeper damage. I have to actually rebuild right, the whole right. system. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it also implies that we're not that different from an AI computer system at Dude, all. Dude, that implies we're not that much different from Windows 10. <laughs> <laughs> or or earlier. Windows 95. There we go. Um. Yeah. No. No. I remember ninety seven had a lot of patches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Windows ninety five is twenty seven years ago. Yeah, about twenty seven years ago. Windows was yeah. Windows ninety five. So that that shouldn't be. Wow. Anyway, sorry. That just occurred to me. Um. Time flies. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. We're not that much different. So we're all. So in, what you're basically suggesting is that in the end, we're all just AIs anyway. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. there we go. We're all we're all just a bunch of AIs. We're biological AIs that have basically. But of course, at that point, we're not artificial. We're natural intelligences. Well, and see, and then that would beg the question that if we ultimately do find out that that computer that's kind of mm -hmm. sort of self aware isn't different from us, what does that ultimately make us? Like, then what's the whole point of existence? Because as human beings, again, it might be that cognitive distance. We like to say it's bigger ideals. You know, it's 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 God. It's 
it's nirvana it's it's love it's to create it's to mm-hmm. propagate it's to to make something that lasts through time maybe that's just we're kidding ourselves it's none of those you you eat you shit you kind of like exist for a little bit and then you die and that really is all there is to the universe yeah, we're no different than bacteria basically yeah we we exist we yeah. consume we die yep yep pretty much um and that's perfectly possible sadly i mean i guess sadly i guess sadly is the right <laughs> way to put it um and that's and that's one re- and the realizations of things like that are what make people seek out religion <laughs> it it really is you you <laughs> no, but you? <laughs> I, that, that does make perfect sense yeah no that does make, which leads to the interesting point is that but religion in modern society is fast at least North American society anyway, and European, is fast falling by the wayside. People are people are less and less religious. Like religion is almost becoming passe, basically. So what are we replacing it with? Yeah. Like what's Well So or was the purpose that religion served, maybe for most people, was just to bring them together as a community and now the internet's doing that, so we don't need it anymore. Yeah, it, it 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 could be. It could be again. Um, like I say, that religion was one of those uh, uh, mm-hmm. personality templates, and because we have so many more to choose from, that there's all kinds of other stuff that right. kind of serves that purpose. That I don't have to be, mm-hmm. you know, Catholic. I can patch yeah, in yeah. instead, vegan. yeah, or. Yeah, or or I can like patch in uh, yeah something like gamer, or you know I can I can I can patch in like you know angry recluse or incel or whatever the uh-huh. hell it is I want to like yeah pretend I'm part whatever of whatever group yeah that it's because it's always that idea that it's something I'm part mm-hmm. of that's bigger than me but I'm mm-hmm. still me in. Like that in a lot of ways is what religion is. Even something like Buddhism that teaches extinction of the self yeah, is still yeah. focused on the self. Well, it's aware that humans are self-focused. You're, that's you're, the way we are. And and But it's that idea that you are an individual. You, you may be trying mm-hmm. to overcome that, but the whole tenet is you are an individual and part of the cosmos. That's yes. what religion teaches. And going with what you say, we have substitutes that will let us do mm-hmm. that as well you know i i can be part of like the a wacky group that thinks tom hanks wants to make our kids magnetic so we can sell them to the reptilians and i'm part of that group and it fulfills all kinds of like Mm -hmm. weird needs for me but i'm still an individual even though ultimately i kind of aren't because i've subsumed a great deal of my personality into that which again it's it's the the can't shut up about being a vegan thing but it still lets me pretend to be an individual. Whereas, like I say, the rest of the world, mm-hmm. the them, the they, I'm just my Amazon purchases. I'm not an individual. I'm uh, a series of well, you're of a consumer. Switches. You're a consumer. Something, something they can sell stuff to. Yeah, you're a source of profit. Yeah, and and it's that same idea that that idea uh, is prevalent. In the, in the thing that I hate about anybody who does any kind of media commentary that looks at the audience as just amorphous mm-hmm. reactive mass. 
that again it's it's that idea it's that 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 other they're just like an aggregate of their purchases well, that goes into the interesting idea that something i've been thinking about somewhat recently which is the idea of uh self or personality can't exist in a vacuum like it exists in relation to others mm -hmm. it exists by comparison you are who you are partly based on a comparison with who you're not basically going back to your earlier point by who about ais are what they're not right. well so are humans right and the only way we learn who we are is by comparing ourselves to others and by and through our relationships and connections with others now i've been mostly thinking about that in terms of like writing and fiction for for my case not not necessarily philosophically but it does apply to real people too just as much um you decide who what your personality yeah. is based on how you interact with others and how you react to others. Yeah, it, it can, when you put it like that, I'm thinking it might go back to the mm -hmm. origins and peon thing that the origin isn't necessarily just the originator of an idea. They're the personality that's mm -hmm. solid enough that it right. can be self -sustained. It doesn't need others to, to exist. Yeah. yeah. Or, or rather it doesn't need the template of others to exist what's the difference uh the example i can use uh and i might have mentioned this before i know we've talked about this ourselves i might have mentioned on on the show was the biggest advantage i had in life was that i was never anything okay congratulations you're nothing and that's and that was great and what i mean by that is to, to continue with this idea mm -hmm. of, of finding the self, when, when you're a little kid, you're in grade mm -hmm. school, you're part of the collective. That's the whole thing. Yes. You bring enough for everybody thing. High school, you got a little autonomy. You mm -hmm. start trying to figure out who you are. The way people do that is typically mm -hmm. they test things out, right? They, you see, I'm, I'll, well, am I a jock? Am I like one of the cool kids? Am I a dirt bag? Am I, you know, like a brainiac? Am I like a drama kid? And you kind of shuffle mm -hmm. yourself into these categories, right? And it's it's what we're we're talking about on a macro scale, I think. That idea that now people are desperate for identity because society doesn't see you yes. as a, even an individual. Mm -hmm. It's it's that high school thing. And in high school, I was never anything. And part of it's because as a little kid, I was an mm -hmm. angry, hate-filled recluse and didn't mm -hmm. care to relate to others. So in high school, people couldn't, like, like put me in a group. Like, okay, he's smart, like a brainiac, but he does stuff and gets in trouble like a dirt bag, but he makes things like an art kid. And because I was never anything, mm -hmm, yeah. I was never not anything. And that yes. meant I could move around with impunity. I didn't fit in with any group but yeah i didn't not sense. fit in with any group and what what that did is what i was was kind of what i was because i Makes didn't sense. fall into a category in essence i was allowed to do what i i did i didn't have to follow mm -hmm. a, a preordained path so i became something and then it would be that idea of being an origin because who I was wasn't dependent on what I was considered. It wasn't dependent on the masses because it was choices that I made entirely on right. my yeah, own, essentially sense. in okay. isolation. That, no, that's a beautiful example, I think. Yeah. 
So you weren't making, well, mind you, you were to some degree looking at maybe as groups or individuals, you were looking at those groups and you were still saying, well, I'm not like you didn't consider yourself a jock, for example, you still did look at it and go, I'm not that part. I'm not that. So I'm not, I'm not one of them. But it, yeah, but I was allowed to do it. Not in terms of, I'm not one of yeah, them. That's was, very true. I don't enjoy that. I don't see the. I don't see the point in that. Again, the activities and, and that didn't have anything to do with the participants. It was mostly right. yeah. the That's activity. Yeah, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, 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 and no. Like You're right. It oh, it was all based on how you felt about things and what you, what you enjoyed and what you didn't. So you could just be who you were. I see your point. And then that's the problem that you get, say, like nowadays that people can't. I guess hmm. pick their personality a la carte. You fall into a group, you start moving in a certain direction, and then, like I say, because of targeted ads and marketing and all that, you start yeah. getting pushed down that path. So it's it's kind of high school, but more, but in the opposite direction. So instead of deciding I'm going to be a jock, the internet decides that you're going to be a jock, and then it inundates you with jock stuff and everything jock and your brain starts shifting to jock mode. I would say it's not exactly what happens. Like as someone who does observe this very carefully, uh, I watch what the algorithms are doing to me and I'm watching what they're doing to other people and such. Generally speaking, like let's say Mm. you hopped on TikTok, for example. TikTok generally takes about a half hour or so to adapt itself to you. And in fact, people comment on that. you, You have to be on TikTok for about a half hour. Before and by then, it will be serving you pretty much like pure cocaine, pretty much at that point, for a pure electronic version of cocaine for you. <laughs> it's completely customized itself to you. But what it's doing during that first half hour is it's giving you samples, like it's giving you a variety of things. And then it's basically saying, mm. okay, he seems to respond to this, he doesn't seem to respond to that. Now, with TikTok, of course, remember you're watching like what 30 second or whatever videos, so it can go through a lot of them really, really quickly. Like it's letting go through a lot of cycles, really. That's one of the reasons it's so effective. But the point again being that. It, and it doesn't stop after the first half hour. It just that's the first half hour. It just tends to start to really kick in. But the point being that it still has to adapt. It's still sampling. It's still giving you choices, and based on what you like, then it starts directing you towards one of the categories. But it's not exactly. It's not like a sorting hat that's literally going on your head and saying you are now Team Jock. It's or whatever Team Hufflepuff or whatever. It's now. It's literally, you're going up, it's like a sorting hat where you're going up to it. And it's asking you a series of questions for a half hour. And then based on your answers, then it's putting you in a category. It it does, but the problem is once it yes. does that, it, it's not done. It's, yes, it it's is. It's constantly refining that category. And then it's it's exposing you to more things that exactly things so are in the category you more you and more narrow subset of that category i absolutely agree i think that's what's going on but you are still an active participant in that though you are still saying yeah i like that i don't like that it is still based, going back to your point you didn't like s- sports because you didn't like sports you didn't get any enjoyment from it well if i'm not watching like korean mukbang videos or something like that which are like one videos where people eat uh it's not some weird sex thing um the, if i'm not well, yeah, I, I get. Oh, I it probably is somewhere. somewhere. But if I'm not watching like Korean mukbang videos or whatever, um, it will say, "Oh, Rob doesn't like that," and it won't give me any. 
so I'm still making a choice. Like it's still based mm-hmm. on my pre- personal preferences and my still and what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy. So it in that sense, it isn't. It is still there's still an element of you in it. The only issue I see, not the only issue. There's many issues, but one of the issues though I see is that once it has you in that category, it I suspect it will try to make, keep you in that category. That's what concerns me. That you got yourself into that category. It acted as an aid, but it was still your choice to ultimately end up where you ended up or where you end up. But my question is, to what degree does it try to keep you there? And to what degree does it kind of lock you into a bubble? Like, or can you even leave? You know, if I just suddenly start watching Korean mukbang videos, will it suddenly start adding into my list? But that confuses the category and it may or may not like that. Or maybe I'm now in two categories. I mean... How does the system work that way? How does it place us, and how rigid is that placement? That's that's what concerns me. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right. No, it'll just move you around. But I think the problem isn't what the system thinks you mm-hmm. want, because you, you'll you'll make the decision. But what the problem will be is that your options yes, will that's become increasingly about, yeah. limited, because it it's not going to expose you to stuff. Too far afield from what it already thinks you want. Now, if you suddenly Mm. do something new, it'll just work that in. But it's that idea that where it narrows people's, like, perspectives and personalities, it's not an intentional thing to do that. It's that Mm -hmm. it's giving you what it thinks you want, but it's giving you what it thinks you want. There's not... the, the. the farther you get away from that idea, the less options you're going to see. And yes. that just means the less likely you're going to pick it. Because I find not very many people will That's just randomly true. go looking That's for very stuff. True. Um, it's it's the example, like, uh, I, I've mentioned it before. The one guy at work was talking, I spent like three hours downloading techno music. I'm like, well, you don't need three hours of techno music. It's all more or less the same. And did you ever like download something you never heard of? Like, what do you mean? Like a song you never heard of or something in a genre that comes up you never heard of? Why would I do that? Well, because your favorite song wasn't your favorite song before you heard it, you dumb fuck. But but again, it's because it's that Mm -hmm. idea that we have so many options. And this goes with with Mm -hmm. what we've talked about many times. That there's such yep. a contest for eyeballs, or such a, a a desperation for audiences, that pandering happens. And what we're talking yeah, about yeah. with these automatic exactly. systems is even more pandering. And it makes it so much easier. And people ultimately don't care. They don't. They don't really. They just give me more of that, mm-hmm. and then when I get mm-hmm. bored, give me tons of something else that they're not making those decisions. Like again, like we were talking before we were recording, I spent like a month watching mm-hmm. like reality TV to see what the deal was. And there's no context. There's no plot. It it's all exactly right. the same. Like like to the minute. You know, when when the the drink gets thrown, when the bachelorette mm-hmm. party gets out of hand, minute to minute. It's it's right. scripted. It's it's worse than save the cat. There's literally no context. There's just stuff happening. In the end, they go back to pretending they're they're all... But, and people just go nuts for this stuff, which means that people aren't really looking no, for anything No, they want deep. something to, as you often say, massage their eyeballs. That's all they want. They want something that kind of keeps them occupied a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And then... 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. then where the AI apocalypse comes in is when you because we've got systems now that can can yeah. write and and they're they're not super good, but as they mm-hmm. yeah as they get that data, they'll get better quicker. And the thing is, they don't have to be Shakespeare. They just have to hit that horrible housewives yep. of wherever level, and now they've got people hooked. And it'll be it'll be that idea that they'll mm-hmm. start. It'll be easier to tailor make stuff to 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 shovel out to the to to the public that you'll have even less mm-hmm. options, even though it'll look like you have more. That they'll be literally designed specifically for what the system thinks that yep, yep. you you uh you, you want, and then like I said, that's the detrimental effect. It's not by design; yeah. it's oh, almost no, like an accidental. Because the system effect. knows its job is to keep you using the system, and because because that's how they make money. Because then then they get yeah. so advertising or do whatever or, or get you to pay subscription, whatever is involved. So the system needs you to use the system. So in the end, ultimately, this is something I joke with my students, but it's probably true. We're basically headed for Brave New World. We're pretty much that's that's pretty much what we're headed for. A system where everybody <laughs> is basically existing in a state of pleasure. Of uh, some some version of pleasure, whatever you whether it's drugs mm-hmm. or media or sex or whatever, everyone just exists in their little state of pleasure. And the system goes off and runs completely separate from society because it needs it because society has to do certain things like say make children to actually continue to exist so the system takes care of that mm. on its own and just keeps maintains society and maintains an existence and all the little happy little you know meat bots basically go about their go about their daily lives and enjoy the pleasure of their life and that's brave new world and uh, it turns out he was right that's that's kind of uh, mind you. Yeah. I guess technically it's also a crema city too. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then again, that goes back to that original idea we were looking at: like, are we actually individuals, or are we just meat bot components? You could argue the, the answer system. is both. Like you could you could make an argument that on some level we are individuals. Mm-hmm. We do have our own individual lives, individual relationships, etc. There are many things that do make us unique. But at the same time, we are also part of the collective. And in fact, part of the internet and ultimately part of AI eventually is that it's in, it's made the individual self less and less important and less and less the focus of our lives and our collective life more and more important and more and more the focus of our lives. And this is... Yeah. Because that's where the profit is, yeah. right? Again, it's it's a matter of just profit and loss. That's just kind of the way it is. Um, and so I want right. to go off on a slight tangent before we end this. Um, was something that, um, you know, Jack, our friend, since there, there's our Jack reference for the episode, he's bringing up when we have conversations about, this, <laughs> about similar topics and such, is that Jack always brings in the idea of, and he's probably... Staring, staring, waiting for me to say it right now. The idea of government regulation, the idea that we as a people <laughs> should stand up and use our democratic mm-hmm. right and vote, and we should try to prevent this from happening. That we shouldn't just walk calmly towards the uh, the execution chamber. That but we should actually you know take steps to prevent to, to pre- prevent this. If we can see this coming, we should try to stop it. Um, and so there's so I pose the right. question to you. 
can we stop this? Like, can we prevent this? And now, of course, I should define what this is, shouldn't I? Um, this, what we've already done so far, the algorithm, mm -hmm. the algorithmization, I guess, of society, where you know, where where people are becoming more and more locked into their internet lives or locked into the collective instead of being individuals, um, the Borg, basically. Can we stop that? And then on top of that, can mm. we stop um, the development or slow down the development of AI or prevent the development of sentient AI for that matter to prevent it from being something that is going to potentially damage or even destroy society? What do you think? I think it goes right back to the very beginning because then the question becomes, okay, but what exactly are you stopping? Like we we if if we're going to stop AI from taking over, what does AI taking over mean? Like it's mm. it's that problem that we know something's happening, but it's already kind of beyond us enough that yeah, we're not exactly sure what's happening. It it goes to the mm -hmm. the 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 uh, the original idea of the internet, like. I remember the mm -hmm. early 90s when the internet was really first becoming a thing in like true cyberpunk dystopian future. The internet was seen as this like it was going to save humanity. It was going to be like the ultimate bastion of free expression and and freedom and transmission of infinite like, you know, information. It was going to unite yep. humanity and like 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 a common cause and it was going to allow communication on a level never held before. And then ultimately it ended up being all about porn and your grandma telling you why, like the Jews are secretly taking over. Like, because the problem wasn't yeah. the internet. It was us. <laughs> we have the, this ultimate tool that mm -hmm. we're kind of too stupid, selfish and short-sighted to use. And then that gets to that idea. So what is AI going to do? Is it going to do anything? Is is AI destroying society inevitable simply because it's one of our tools yeah. and ultimately so we're going AI to destroy destroying society. society? It's people destroying society. AI is just a tool. Yeah, because mm. when you think about like what we're talking mm -hmm. with, like the targeted ads and the cocooning and all that, that's us. That's the system doing an awesome job of giving us exactly what we wanted and in a weird sort of way, it, it might end up being, you know, a corporatist version of Grey that Toy ultimately decides that humanity does want to wipe itself out, but we don't want to, like, die in war. We want to eat yeah, and fuck ourselves to much. death. And then that's yeah, no, what it gives us. You know? but, but that goes to, again, your mm -hmm. idea that maybe we're already part of the, the, the system and that's... And that's why we can't not do that because that's mm. in a weird way what we're ultimately designed to do. Yeah. And then the environment changed out from under us. And now we're still doing that one thing because we don't have that capacity to really kind of, again, create an original idea. We can't see past. Right. Or I guess you'd say I our basic program. that some can. But I'm, but I, I think that, there's too much momentum in the in certain right. directions. Like even even those who can can't do anything about it. Yeah, because there's just too much momentum. And this is this is my general argument when Jack right. brings that up is that there's too much momentum. There's too much design. There's too much desire. If if it's at all possible to create a sentient AI, we will. 
and it, it comes back to one of the things I think you said earlier, I'm not sure before or after we started recording, mm-hmm. which was, um, you know, that we will create a sentient AI, but it will be created probably by a government, it might be a co- company, but, more, but po- quite possibly by a go- or government f- company, whatever. The key point is it will be created because it is the ultimate weapon. Like whoever creates it can potentially dominate everyone else. So, and even mm-hmm. prevent them from creating AI. Um, so, th- so, so therefore it will be created as the ultimate, as the ultimate <laughs> tool of domination, but that's because we humans want to dominate each other. Like that every, and, and, and going back to what you were saying, uh, I was before we were recording, everyone mm-hmm. is okay with that idea. No one is standing up to stop it. Because everyone thinks that their team will be the one that creates the conquering AI that gives them the one ring to rule them all. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. It does, and I gotta be honest, up until about mm. 10 years ago, I probably would have like agreed with it. But I think what's gonna happen is like the ultimate weapon that destroys us <laughs> yeah, isn't going true. to be built yeah, as right. the ultimate weapon. The future's gonna be stupid. What what's good what's gonna wipe out the human race isn't that, you know, like uh, Colossus is going to like team up with like the Russian supercomputer and decide that like you know, humanity needs to be dealt with. What's going to mm. happen is the cloud based system that they use for the uh, interactive programs with everybody's automated sex android is going to develop sentience and that's mm. what's going to ultimately take over society <clears throat> you know i think you're totally right the moment you said that i thought to myself well wait what area has the most money going into it to simulate human emotion and the answer is the sex industry and not just emotion but interaction that it's interaction yeah it's yeah it's it's truly the industry that's trying to perfect the human machine interface yes literally you yeah <laughs> <laughs> literally um and so the point is is so yeah no no you're right so basically what you're saying is sex bots will kill us all yeah it's the, it, it's gonna be it's like i said it's it's not gonna be terminator it's not even gonna be max Hedrum. it's gonna be my girlfriend has a virus that's what's gonna do us all in i was thinking cherry 2000 yeah something like that, that could be was it. it wasn't that a movie it was about wasn't she like a sex android or something that goes off on this? it ultimately turned into terminator or something like that but i thought it was about like some sex android going on a quest across a post-apocalyptic landscape I yeah i think that was it yeah the guy was looking for parts to fix his uh sex android after oh, the okay. apocalypse yeah 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 it'll, okay well it, something like that yeah yeah it'll it'll be that it, it'll be like the world will be like in ruins and we'll be running from you know the the incredibly hot sex androids that are gonna like just fuck everybody to death because that's what they were programmed to do and it got out of hand <laughs> literally it's like i guess you shouldn't have you know they took fuck me till i die literally yeah. um celibacy so. will be outlawed the incels will be our only chance for survival <laughs> you know the future's well, gonna be point- stupid <laughs> Yeah, the future. So I guess that's the conclusion. <laughs> Humanity is stupid, so therefore AI will be stupid, and the future is going to be stupid. <laughs> yep. 
Well, you know something? In a weird way, I think that's a much more happy and uplifting ending to this episode than, you know, AI is just going to kill us all and take over and, <laughs> and turn us into little meat bots or whatever, or whatever. We're, we're just going to end up with a stupid future of ruled by sex androids. Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> that was a, I think that, that was a Futurama, Futurama episode. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, where they, they had legislation like 100 years earlier about... Uh, sex bots because people weren't reproducing and society was going to die off i assume they outlawed them right yeah that was the one where you could get like uh illegal copies of people's personalities mm -hmm. and like illegally copy like famous people in that for your sex bot that was a uh, kidnapster was the uh site you did that on oh okay <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. So the scale is welcome mm -hmm. to Cyberpunk. Yep. Welcome to Mega City One. Yep. Welcome to Max Headroom. Mm -hmm. Welcome to The Simpsons. Welcome to Futurama. <laughs> yep. Futurama is our ultimate dark future. <laughs> uh. <laughs> or or life future, I guess, depending on depending on your point of view. But all, all I know is that any future without sex bots. Is a future I don't want to live in. <laughs> Good night, folks. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please uh, visit obeythedna.com and tell us about your future fantasies. I mean, what you think AI is going to do into the do in the future. <laughs> and thanks for listening, everyone. Good night. Is that an upbeat ending or not? <laughs> thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!